Good morning. I'm so grateful uh, to be here this morning with you. Pastor Brian is uh, on a much-needed uh, break. Uh, he and his family, they have had a chance to get away, and I'm so grateful they did. They needed it badly. And so uh, I'm grateful to be here this morning. Man, it is a chore now to be here. I, have, I am now outnumbered in my home with kids, and uh, I have three now, and so it is, it is a, that, that is a trick, man. When it is three on two, it is a hard thing, and, and, uh, and so it, I feel like just being here right now is a great accomplishment for me, and so thank you. Uh, don't, don't applause, please, just thank you. But anyway, Kayla's the superstar, not me. Uh, and so that's the deal. I, I'm grateful to be here. Uh, we are uh, continuing our series, The Essentials, and we took a break, a needed break, uh, to talk about injustice. Uh, and it took about a four-week break there. Those are very difficult messages, not only to really examine yourselves and myself on, but also for Pastor Brian to, to teach. It's hard. That's a hard thing to navigate. Uh, and, and so I'm grateful that he, that he did that. But we are jumping back into this series called The Essentials. We've, we've, we've been here for three weeks before we took that four-week break, and we talked about three essentials. The church is essential. The Bible is essential. Prayer is essential, and I have one today that actually is probably the easiest one and the hardest. It's easy because it is natural. You don't have to worry about whether you're doing it or not. You don't have to, 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 to try hard to do it. You automatically do it. God has wired you, hardwired you to do what we're talking about today. It's hard because it also shows what I am focused on where I'm at in my life. So today, we're talking about worship. Worship is essential. We are hardwired to do it, like breathing, like blinking, like watching football. We are hardwired to do these things, to worship. So we're looking at that today. Last night, I was... It's 4th of July, and man, toddlers on the 4th of July is something else entirely. We kept the boys up a little bit later so they could watch some of the fireworks, and, and one of them was all into it and, and, and pumped. The other one's terrified. The little one's terrified of every sound going on. Uh, he thinks he's in war or something. I don't know why, why he's got such a complex about it already, but he, he was kind of, you know, kept hiding behind his mom the whole time, and the, and the, the other one just slept. Uh, and so... They, we, we were out there, and it was crazy, and the boys were crazy. We tried baths. We tried everything to calm them down. And so one thing that I do when we go into their room, I like to read them the Jesus Storybook Bible. That's, the, that's one thing we do every night. And sometimes I'll read it from the physical book with the lights on, if they can handle it. If they can't, I grab my iPad, turn the lights off so they can't see anything but me. And so last night, it was a lights-off kind of night. And it hit me last night as we were reading, um, we were reading about Moses and the Ten Commandments, God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. And it said something very interesting. Would you mind if I read that for you today? I'm going to read it from the Jesus Storybook Bible. I have to get this back before Lewis knows it's missing. He's a firstborn, so he knows everything's missing. And so I've got to get this back to his room before he knows it's missing. It says this. If you're not familiar with the Jesus Storybook Bible, it's fantastic for toddlers. It's fantastic for younger kids. It breaks it down, but it's also... Man, the truths in there are, you'll, you'll hear it, listen. It says this, God called Moses up to the mountain and the, the great mountain shook. A thick cloud fell. 
Thunder roared, lightning crackled, and God gave Moses ten rules called commandments. And here's what he said. Very first one. I want you to love me more than anything else in all the world and know that I love you too. God told them, that's the most important thing of all. I'll finish the story because it's not very long. The, it, it's kind of a funny Bible because it turns around on you and it, it flips back. and So it's, it's a challenging one to read, especially on the iPad because it's always moving. It says this, God gave them other rules like don't make yourselves pretend gods and don't kill people or steal or lie. The rules showed God's people how to live, how to be close to him, how to be happy. They showed how life worked best. God's promises took away, took, uh, God's promise, uh, promises to always look after you, Moses said. Will you love him and keep these rules? We can do it, yes, we promise. But they were wrong. They couldn't do it. No matter how hard they tried, they could never keep God's rules all the time. And God knew they couldn't. And he wanted them to know it too. Only one person could keep all the rules. And many years later, God would send him to stand in their place and be perfect for them. Because the rules couldn't save them, only God could save them. It said there that that he wants you to love me more than anything else in the world. This is a paraphrase of Exodus 20, uh, chapter three, or chapter 20, verse three. And what's being described here is worship. You are hardwired to love, to receive love. That is something you are, 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 are hardwired to do. You do that naturally. You will seek to do that. God did that on purpose. It is a gift from God, but the problem is, is that we use that gift for other things. It's not wrong to love my wife, obviously. It's not wrong to love my boys, obviously, my mom, my dad, my family, my friends, my church. But to love them as if they are God is wrong. That worship is held only for one. But sometimes we get it a little bit out of whack. Where our affection lies, there our worship lies. John Piper said this, he said, sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. I'll read it one more time. Sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. No one sins out of duty. We sin because it holds out some promise of happiness. That promise enslaves us until we believe that God is more to be desired than life itself. You see, sin has its roots in our worship of the wrong thing. So in the church today, we tend to think of worship maybe in terms of music. And that's not necessarily wrong. Of the 400 times in the Bible, 400 plus times, in the Bible that worship is mentioned, 50 of those times it does talk about music. So that's a, that's a good chunk of time that, that, it, that the Bible equates music with worship. So it is important. Don't get me wrong. God took his scriptures and he gave us an entire book, the longest book, with music. It's important to our lives. But worship goes far beyond music. You worship constantly. I worship constantly. And I'm not even aware of it. So let me give you a definition of worship we're going to work with today. Worship is a response to what you value. 
Worship is a response to what you value. You will naturally respond to whatever you value. Sometimes that's involuntary, and sometimes that is voluntary. Sometimes it's very purposeful. Let me see if I can give you an illustration. <clears throat> I am a University of Tennessee football fan. Uh, we, it, I, I, it's, it's been tough the last couple of years. You guys may not have heard of that little team because you've been doing something here in South Carolina. We haven't been doing winning. And so uh, uh, you may not have heard about that, that team, and that's understandable if you're not familiar with them. But I recall a game I was at against Air Force. Unfortunately, that should have been a blowout, but it wasn't. Air Force ran this crazy little offense with, uh, with, 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 the, with the option. It was right and left, right and left, right and left, just all day long. And it was very hard to defend, and it was a struggle. And so during that kind of game, we were trying to be part of the game, and so you do cheers like V-O-L-S, go Vols, go. And they lead you in that. And I joined in. Not something I normally do in my life. I don't just chant or cheer. I, I made a conscious decision to do that for my team because I value them. It's an effort. We also sing Rocky Top. I don't know if you all heard that annoying little song, but we sing Rocky Top a lot. Uh, well, not as much as we used to. We used to sing Rocky Top after every touchdown. Now if we have a positive gain, we kind of break it out every now and then. So it's, it, it, it's something we do now. It's been, it's been a tough couple years. But that particular game, man, Air Force had really made a tough game. They, they had, we went down and scored. They came back in the last minute or so, scored a touchdown. It was 21-20 us. And I gotta give them credit, man. They decided to go for two. Man, Neyland Stadium, 100,000 people watching, you're gonna go for two. I, got, I, I was out of my mind excited that they made that decision. So they did their little option, didn't know what was coming. It was just going to be right or left. Their, their, their playbook is not a playbook. It's actually just a, a card that says right or left, right or left, right or left. And so they, 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 they went right. Running back goes, or quarterback goes right, pitches to the running back. Running back goes in, and Xavier Mitchell stands there at the goal line and takes that dude on and does not let him pass and throws him back. And we won. 21-20. And I turned... And I hugged the biggest, drunkest dude I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not talking about like sidearm hug. I mean full on embrace, jumping up and down, hug. We were so excited. I mean, and that's not something I would normally do, right? I don't hug drunk strangers ever. <laughs> but in that moment, it made absolute total sense, right? You wouldn't blame me, Chris, blame me? No. That's worship. It involuntarily made total sense to grab that dude. My brother was on the right side of me, and I chose to go over here and hug this dude. That is worship. I valued that team. I valued that moment. We won. Worship was happening because we won. I, I know that's a funny story, but it's, it's, the fact is I did something I would not normally do in response to something I value. We do it all the time. You respond to things all the time that you value. In this series, we've been looking, especially at the book of Acts, to kind of see what the early church did. And we want to look at what they did and all they were able to accomplish. The problem with worship is, in the book of Acts, it is the underlying thing of everything. 
The reason why they did what they did is because they were worshiping. All the time, they got it, raptured their hearts, and they, they, were, they were going throughout the world. But if we go over to, to Acts chapter 2, we won't be there very long, but Acts chapter 2, this is a very familiar passage. It's the very first days of the church. And I want you to see a few descriptive words that are used in this very short passage. It's just uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 44 says this. By 46. It says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the new Christians. To breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who has a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Did you see those words, devoted, awe, praising? It's worship. It might not be specifically mentioned, but those words give you an indication of what was going on in those days. It was causing these people to live lives that were going out and impacting other lives. They, 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 were, they were impacting the lives of the church. They were impacting the lives of the public. It says that they had favor with all people, praising God and enjoying the favor with all people. You see, true worship can cause you to have a huge impact. See, worship's what makes you believable. Not your intelligence, not your knowledge of the Bible, not your voice, singing voice or whatever, church attendance. It is your worship that makes you believable. It is my worship that makes me believable. When I read the Bible to the boys at night, I don't read it humdrum, just get through it. No, I want them to know I'm worshiping that God so that hopefully they too will do the same. That's what I want. So they, 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 here they are. Where did this inspiration come from? Sure, some of this stuff was involuntary, uh, like, like we talked about early, but, but some of it was very thoughtful and planned out. In another part of this series, we're not only looking at the first church, but we're going back through the scriptures and we're seeing what Jesus taught that might have been the roots of their thoughts. And so if you would, take your Bible, this is where we'll park for just a second uh, tonight, today, and go to John chapter 4, and we're going to look at John chapter 4. This first church had a great teaching, and John, for whatever reason, this is one of those stories that John was overboard on the details. I don't know why, but he was overboard. He gave up a ton of details in this. Let me read it to you uh, very quickly. It says this, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, and now he had to go through Samaria, which was a no-no. That, that's a place they didn't go. I don't know, I've not been here long enough to know the places, you know what I mean? The places. 
Um, I'm from New Mexico. It's not that Roswell is a, is a, is a, a, a metropolis that you just have to visit. It's not Myrtle Beach of the West or anything. Uh, but there's this other little town. I won't say it just in case anybody's watched. I won't say the name of it. I don't want to offend anybody. Dexter. Um, when you go through it, you just know people don't really go through there. And so if you go through there, you're, you're kind of like, you're on purpose. Like you must have gone through there on purpose. This is exactly what Samaria is. Like I said, I've not been here long enough to know if there's a place like that here. But this is their, this is their thinking. So when you come to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob and his, had given to his son, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus tried, well, I'm tired, as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So it was starting to warm up. It's hot. Jesus is showing a little bit of his humanity. He's tired. He sits down by this well, which was very common. They didn't have running water, so the well was a very important place, just not at noon. People came to the well early in the morning. It's hot. They're smart. Sometimes they'd go even before the sun came up. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me drink? And there's a parenthetical statement from John. He, he wants you to know why John didn't, John wants you to know why he didn't jump up and get Jesus a drink, the Lord of glory. It says his disciples had gone into town to buy food. That's why he didn't do anything. John's always like, this is why I wouldn't. This is why Jesus didn't have a drink, because I was gone. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And there's another parenthetical statement from John that says this, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Not only do they not associate with Samaritans, they don't associate with Samaritan women. So she is shocked that Jesus, a Jew, and I'm not quite sure how she automatically makes this snap judgment of who Jesus is. I mean, you're not talking about a, a great distance between people, I wouldn't think, uh, even a look would be all that different, but there's something about the way Jesus looked that looked different than the way she looked. And so, she, she questions him, why are, you, why are you doing this? And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst. Now, all of a sudden, they're on two different planes here. Jesus is making a, a metaphor. She thinks they're talking about reality, and so there, there's a little bit of confusion on her part. He says, indeed, the water I give them will come, become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water here. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. That's a weird follow-up to, like, give me a drink of water. Like, Jesus has, like, flipped the script here and gotten real personal real fast. Can I have a drink of water? Where's your husband? You know, that's a, that's a pretty quick, that's, and only Jesus can get away with this. And she says, I have no husband. 
And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is, your, uh, is not your husband, and what you have uh, just said is quite, what you have just said is quite true. Can you imagine that? You imagine like sitting there and Jesus is there, he asks you for a favor, and then all of a sudden he just kind of pokes at one of your sins that you think you got kind of under wraps. I mean, this is why she's at the well, right, at noon, right? It's got to be, right? Like nobody else is at the well. She's going not early in the morning with the other women. She's going at noon. Why? Just trying to keep it low key, man. She's just trying to keep all this back here. And all of a sudden, Jesus just kind of, what about this? Can you imagine like him just pointing out my arrogance, my pride, my temper? What about you, Gary? I mean, can you imagine how unsettling that would be? She, she, I don't know what I would have said, but she says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. <laughs> yeah. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you, we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she shifts gears pretty fast, me too. Right, she shifts gears from the husbands to, uh, to just talking about religion. It's a quick turn. This woman is taken aback by the fact Jesus would even talk to her. She's a woman, she's not the right gender, she's not the right race, and yet here's Jesus talking to her. She's there, and he's addressing her. This Samaritan woman, to call the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews racial tension would be an understatement. It was out-and-out bigotry. The Jews hated them for who they were. They saw them as a half-breed. They hated them. There was absolute blatant disdain. And he asks her for water, and she just points out how much of a taboo this is. This was a taboo that, 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 that she is shocked that he would ask, that Jesus, in essence, the one who is asking for water, is more than what you think. Just like he knew that she was more than what he saw. Jesus is more than what you think he is, and she was more. And Jesus knew that. So they're in this conversation. They're not on the same page. This frequently occurs when you're, when you're dealing with Jesus. Jesus is often on a, on a different page than you are, than I am. That, that's a very frequent thing when the Lord of glory gets involved. Things start to get sometimes a little bit confusing before the clarity happens. And he wants to give her something more than water. He wants to give her something more than that, and she's confused. And he point blank asks her, or asks Jesus, she asks him, do you think you're a bigger deal than Joseph and Jacob? He, she knows who she's talking to, a Jew. That would have been, those are heavy hitters in the Jewish culture. That's the George Washington of the Jewish culture, right? You think you're a bigger deal than that? You think you're a bigger deal than this? And she said, I'm not, coming, I'm not talking about this well, that you keep coming back to, he's offering her something better here. See, what, what, we're, what we're getting to here, and you're gonna see this passage leads right into worship, what they talk about, but there's some barriers here that she's struggling with. Jesus is trying to get through before they get into the actual conversation. There's a few barriers that he's trying to get over. Let me give you a couple of those barriers because they still exist. Barriers to worship are very 
common. I, I, I could have given you a bunch here. I chose three big ones that, I, that, are, that are easy to see. Number one is comfort. Comfort. She, she was comfortable just coming here at, at, at noon, living her life. She chose to do that. She was just comfortable doing that. She didn't, she didn't want to mix it up with these people. She didn't want to get involved in anything else. She just wanted to do this and go home, do this and go home. It was her comfortable routine, and we too find that. We also find comfort in, in stuff, right? It's comfortable for us. Our own comfort, whatever that may be, that makes us comfortable. New stuff is nice. It's almost intoxicating, isn't it? I like new stuff. Like I drive a Honda Accent now, I long for the day when I'm not driving a Honda Accent. Like I want that. Like my wife gets to drive a, a decent SUV and I don't. I long for those days because nice stuff, is, it's intoxicating. You can almost get a high from it, but the problem is, is that it's just stuff of future garage sales, right? Like Apple knows that. Apple has created an entire uh, market on this that, that they keep releasing stuff that you need that's gonna go out of style before you can get it. And so my, my stuff is old, even by the time I get it, they're already telling me the newest one's coming out. So now I'm stuck. And now I'm stuck in this weird limbo because I'm like, I need a new phone, but the new one's coming out, and I'm stuck there, right? It's, it's a funny thing because they know, they know how hard that is for me. My comfort, my, my taking care of my life on that level, it's important to me. But it can also be a barrier to worship. Me just focusing on me. Me just focusing on my life, my routine, my stuff, just get up in the morning, go to work, come back, take care of the kids, whatever, get in bed, wake up, do it all over again, the routine. I'm very comfortable in that. That's why, that's why this season's been hard, right? We, we threw another human being into the mix, and he's messed everything up. I'm seeing what the world looks like in South Carolina at three in the morning, right? He's messed everything up. My comfort is being challenged by this little guy. I don't like it. She, she was the same way. She was comfortable. She had this CD passed, so she was just trying to put that behind her, trying to just go forward. She's, she's living with this dude, and she's just trying to get, get by in life. Not, I don't even know what she was doing. I don't know what her goals were. I don't know what she really thought was going to happen in the end, but she just was kind of living her life, living her life, just find some kind of routine, some kind of comfort, and, and, and stuff leads us there all the time, man. Comfort is a, it, it's a problem. The second thing, relationships. Relationships. Beautiful gift from God. We are created for relationships, but sometimes we take what Romans 1 calls, we take the gift and we love it more than the gift giver. And we put these relationships at a higher esteem than God. We try to make it fulfill our life. We try to make this person, and we put this weight on this person to make me happy, and they can't do it. They can't make me happy. Like, 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 like you could have the perfect man. Like you walk, you get home, and this man has dinner cooked, and he is ripped. He is strong. He is uh, just as handsome as the day is long. I guess I'm just saying the opposite of where I got going on here and, and he's changing baby's diapers, and he is cleaning the house, and he's doing everything. And eventually, if he's doing this day in, day out, the woman's going to say, God, can I not do anything? I'm not an idiot. Let me do something. 
She's going to not like him. Because it not, they're not made to fulfill us. You can have a, a woman who, 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 who's got everything ready and makes barbecue every night and she's recorded all the best games since we don't have any sports on right now and she's just sitting back and letting you watch it while she rubs your shoulders and rubs your feet and eventually you're gonna be like, man, I just, I need something else. Why? Because they were never meant. They were never meant to fulfill us. I can't put on my kids the weight of making me happy that they need to do something or be something or, or, or this and that. You need to make something happen. That, that, that's just an exposure to the fact that I am doing something wrong. I am worshiping something that does not need that level of worship. It only belongs to God, but we take that all the time and we put it on routine, comfort, money. We put it on relationships and the last thing we put it on is religion. See, this woman is ticking all the boxes for us. She was in some pretty seedy relationships. She had, was, finding, was, was running through men like, 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 you know, like we run through chips. And, and she is just going here. And all of a sudden now we see that she knows a little bit about religion. She starts, when Jesus brings up the, the man situation, she, she addresses it. She's like, wow, you must be a prophet. But then she starts talking religion. And I, I don't think that's all that weird. You may see that as weird, but I can't tell you how many times that happens to me. If I, if I bring up what I do for a living, people always shift into this weird religious talk, like I'm not, like I'm a robot. And that's all I want to talk about. It's weird. Flights, man, I, I told Kayla several times she's, she's you know, I'll tell people that I'm a teacher or something like that. Because if you tell them anything about you're in the ministry, it either gets like super weird and they don't want to talk to you, or it gets like super weird in the fact that they just start pouring out their guts. It's weird. But it's the same when we talk about, uh, and again, I've not been here very long, but, but in East Tennessee, like everybody's papa is a preacher. Like if you talk to anybody, like they say, oh, my papa was a preacher. And they start, if you're having some kind of conversation about church or spiritual condition, all of a sudden they'll just tell you their papa was a preacher, like left field. Like, oh, my papa, well, that's great. And I'm glad that he chose to do that with his life. But we're not talking about, you know, papa Eugene, we're, we're talking about you. That's not weird that she did that. That's not weird that she, she goes like, you must be a prophet. Yeah, guess what happens in Jerusalem? That's not weird. That's what people do, man. They, 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 they redirect, and often religion is a place that they go. Let me, let me show you something, because look, there was nothing like Jesus to this point. To this point right here, there was nothing like Jesus. And he says this. Let me, let me read you an, uh, a very quick article, or, um, uh, quote from Alan uh, McNichol. He says this. Uh, the understanding of worship was radically reoriented by the coming of Jesus, Essential to worship in the Greco-Roman world were a temple or a house of God, of a God, two, a sacrifice made to appease the God, three, an altar where the sacrifice was placed, four, a priest designated to offer the sacrifice and mediate between the human and the God. All of this was obliterated by the death of Jesus, who for his followers ended all sacrificial systems with the once and for all Sacrifice. You know what's sad and interesting at the same time? 
we all kind of do this. We, 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 we see that, that, that religion, when it tries to manufacture worship, always starts to put themselves in these same boxes. Like Jesus came and, and flattened all of that. You don't need the temple anymore. You are the temple. You don't need to sacrifice. You are the sacrifice. You don't need the priest. You are the priest. And he obliterated all of this. You worship God all the time. You don't need to come to a place and do that. You don't need to have a person stand there and tell you about God. You can experience him for yourself. He, 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 he was trying to, to get all of this. And, and, and you know what people do and they still do it today? They build these places of worship that they're obsessed with. And they, they call things altars and they, 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 they make it more about the place and the stuff and the traditions than about Jesus. Now I'm not talking about here, I'm talking about churches far, far away. So don't worry about that. But it happens. All the time. I've been in it myself. Uh, I, I grew up in kind of that world as well, and it, 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 it's interesting. And I'll tell you one thing that I've done even because of my conservative uh, upbringing. I have taken things like music, and I have, I have bashed it. Songs about the Lord of glory, because I grew up in a pretty conservative Christian background, in a certain style of music, I have heard songs, and if it didn't fit this little mold I thought it should fit, I bashed it. I poked holes in it. And these songs that were honestly written to help people in their worship of the Lord of glory. And I just was like, nah, I don't really like the song. Nah, I don't really like that. Nah, I wouldn't have done that. I know it's awful. It's awful that I would do something like that. And I'm so grateful to be here where that stuff, that kind of awful stuff never happens. But I did that, man. I poked holes in these things and I, I did this on my own. These, this is something that, that I did because religion is a huge barrier for worship sometimes. Sometimes we get so lost in the stuff that we don't get it. And so these are the, these are the barriers of worship. Comfort, relationships, religion, all comforts. So let's finish out real quick. So Jesus is, is kind of heavy hitting her here. She is kind of, he's poking holes in all of these things. He's shown these three things in her life. Verse 21, she brings up worship and where they should worship you Jews. This is how you guys think. And this is what verse 21 says. Jesus again flips it all on its edge. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews, yet a time is coming, and then he drops it on her, and has now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are, wor they, uh, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Did you see what he's looking for? Jesus says, here's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for a place. 
I'm not looking for Jerusalem or this mountain or this well or this building. I'm not looking for anything like that. What I'm looking for is somebody who's gonna worship in spirit and in truth. I need both of these things because sometimes there are people, and I have been in the church long enough to know, I've been in church my whole life, that there are a couple different kinds of people. There are the people who love the scriptures and only the scriptures, and they want everything to be a theological grid. And they're not happy, they're not glad, they think emotions are the devil, they, they, they don't want anything to do with that. You just give me the Bible, man, and I don't want anything to do with it. But then there's the other people who think, ah, the Bible just kind of gets a little sticky sometimes, let's just love everybody. You just gotta love them all, man. The Bible kind of gets you in trouble a little bit. If we just love everybody, we don't have to worry so much about some of that uncomfortable stuff that Jesus talks about. Jesus says, I need both. At the end of the day, everybody's a theologian, right? Everybody has some kind of idea who God is and how God operates. That's theology, that's theologian. What God is and what God does is theology. Everybody is a theologian, just some people are heretics. That's really all it boils down to. And so these are the two kind of people that kind of come in, in our life. And, 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 and Jesus is trying to say, no, 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 I need, I need you to be both of these things. And what, what happened in this moment is this woman's world just shifted because she just got told, you don't need Jerusalem or this mountain, you just need me. And this woman's life flipped. It flipped upside down. The Bible tells us that she left her water pot. That's what John decides to tell us. She left her water jug on the ground and she ran back to her city. Why? That's symbolic, right? The very thing she came to do, she lays that down. That barrier was gone, man. There was only one thing now and it was Jesus. And she runs back and she, she is changed. And verse 39, man, says she goes back to her village and tells her story. Verse 39 says this, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. And this is her testimony, ready? <laughs> he told me everything I ever did. They knew what she had did. She didn't even tell them. They talk about it all the time behind her back. She just says, man, he told me everything I ever did. I confronted my sin. I got right with Jesus. And this dude is the real deal. And it's all about him. It's not about this mountain. It's not about this well. It's not about Jerusalem. It is about this dude. Come on. Let's go see him. And they beg him to stay for a couple of days. And Jesus does that to the point where they're done with this woman's story. They've got their own story. And the Bible says at the end of that, that passage, it says that, they, that we don't believe because of her story. We now have our own story. They have their own testimony to tell. And they have their own stuff. You know why her story worked as we finish? It worked because her worship was right. Worship is what makes your story believable. It makes it believable. So it leads us to our big thought. It's very simple. It's this, that worship isn't a decision, but what you worship is. Worship isn't a decision, but what you worship is. Let me, let me finish with Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. Here's your big 
Big words are small, it's only five letters. To God. This is your true and proper worship. Your life before God. He is the biggest of deals. He is the motivating factor for my life. He is what I am to be about our whole bodies, mind, spirit, everything that makes you, you is to be given. To who? To God. He is our focus of worship. If worship is truly your response to what you value, then Jesus is going to make you do voluntary and involuntary things, right? I'm going to do voluntary and involuntary things. Just like I would chant and do the things that I knew were coming and were normal and I took place, I, I made a decision to take part in at the football game, and then I hugged the dude involuntary. Jesus is going to make me do the very same things. If Jesus is the main deal, then I'm going to be about it. If this song is about Jesus, the Jesus that the Bible talks about, then whether it's a guitar or a piano or a drums or an organ or a kazoo, man, I'm going to be about it. Or if these people over here that maybe aren't part of my church, but yet they're doing something for God, man, I'm not going to knock them. I'm going to be about it. Because I'm about Jesus, man. But it starts where this woman started. It starts where this woman's story starts. We need to get the junk out of our lives. If sin is what we do when our heart is not satisfied with God, then I need to confess whatever it is that's become a barrier in my life, and I need to begin to worship brand new. So here's what I want you to do for a few minutes. I want you to think about that. If sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God, what is your heart satisfied in? What? Let's get to the nitty gritty and let's see what's really behind our worship. Pastor Scott's gonna come and he's gonna sing a song uh, that is uh, really focused on this. So let me ask you to do this. I'm gonna ask you to stand and I'm gonna pray and we're gonna have Scott... Uh, Sing. So let me, let me pray real quick, if you don't mind. Father, we're grateful for all that you do for us, for the fact that you would send Jesus for my life. Man, this woman had a past. She had a seedy past. And I look at her and I think, oh, man, I was no better. I'd have gone to the well at noon too. And I'm so grateful that you confronted her. I'm so grateful that John gave us way too many details about this story so that we knew exactly what was going on. Because we got to see where her true worship was. And this woman had to come to terms with her life. And she didn't waste any time. She got right, and she went and told people about it. Told people about her life. Help us, help me. Whether we're online right now or we're right here, point to each one of us what we truly worship. Help us to see it, to come to terms with it. And if we need to, confess it and start to worship brand new where we are about Jesus and we will leave our water park. We will run, run back and tell people, man, let me tell you what he did for me. I don't care if you know about my junk. 
It doesn't matter because it's about him. We all have junk. Help us to look at that today, Father. We love you. Your son's precious and holy name. Amen.